John chapter 8, I've titled the message, Unbelief and Its Remedy, and we've been expositing, if you're visiting with us, going through the Gospel of John, and we've come to that wonderful section after Jesus proclaimed in John 7 that he was the living water, and we've come after, now to that section after he proclaimed he is the light of the world, we find ourselves, follow along with me, beginning in 821. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I am going, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. May God bless his scripture. I think some of you, and certainly most of you, if you've been around the truth of the scripture for a little while, you're familiar with uh, Revelation chapter 21, where John was on that island and he had heard a loud voice and the angel proclaimed, he will dwell with them. And of course, the scene is heaven. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And then you remember that refrain, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Former things have passed away. There's a wonderful statement when you think about the glory of heaven. But that phrase hit me there, and death shall be no more. It's put, obviously, in the future tense. Because death, as we know it, is the enemy of man. I mean, even for believers, it violates our dominion of God's creation. And death certainly breaks love relationships. It disrupts families. It causes great grief and loss of those dear to us. But we know from the scripture that we no longer fear death, but at the same time it still invades and torments us in this mortal life. I mean, who would not agree with that? Who have not lost a loved one in the last five years, even as a believer, we could say? So it disrupts us at every turn. Maybe you have heard of the preacher of the old school who speaks today as boldly as ever. Oh, he's not really popular, though the world is his congregation. He travels the globe. He speaks in every language. He visits the poor. He calls upon the rich. He preaches to people of every religion and no religion. And the subject of his sermon is always the same. He is an eloquent preacher, stirring feelings which no other preacher can bringing tears to eyes that never weep. His arguments, there's not anybody that can refute them. 
nor has any heart remained unmoved by the force of his appeals. He shatters life with his message. Most hate him. Everyone fears him. His name is death. It's death. We can't get away from it, can we? Every tombstone is his pulpit. Every newspaper prints his text. And one day, the truth is, every one of us will be his message, will we not? But the hope is, as we speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, the writer of Hebrews says that through death, he might render powerless the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. The only hope, and you've heard that this morning in Heidi's testimony, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the hope. But the fact is, beloved, and remains as we just read from the Scripture, three times in verse 21 and 24, our Lord declares, you will die in your sin. He says it again in 24, you will die in your sins. He says it a third time, unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And just to put it concisely, you know this, to die in your sins without your sins being repented of and without your sins being atoned for makes you the subject of the wrath of God. To die in your sins sends people straight to hell. And you might ask the question, why do people die in their sins? Well, I want to take you to this passage and pick it up from last week. And we're looking at three declarations of unbelief that leads to eternal separation. I mean, that's in essence what he is declaring. But within these declarations, there is a wonderful truth of the gospel. He's declaring that unbelief, if you will, leads to that eternal separation. So if I ask you and we were to talk, why do people die in their sins? The answer is one word, unbelief. That is why people die in their sins. And obviously, disobedience is tied to that. The reason that Christ is so forceful, look back at 8.12. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself and your testimony is not true. They just cut his legs out right there. He's giving, think about it. God is standing in front of them. He's saying to them, I am. And he's saying that that light ceremony in the Feast of Tabernacles, that's all about me. That water you know, uh, ceremony is all about me. I'm the water that came from the rock. I'm the living water. I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. And they come to him and say, hey, you're just, your testimony's not true. So he's proclaiming that he's the light. He's proclaiming that he's the bread. He's proclaiming that he's the living water. And they're disbelieving. In fact, look down at 819. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus said, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. In other words, you don't know my father, whom you proclaim to know. And because you don't know him, as revealed in Scripture, you do not know me. And so then he picks it up and he goes on the offensive and he says, you will die in your sins. Now, that's not an easy word to hear, okay? 
It's not an easy word to hear, but nevertheless, it's the truth. So let's look at these three declarations. We touched on the first two declarations of unbelief last week. The first declaration was the result of unbelief. We're going to look at the result of unbelief, the reason for unbelief, and then the third one, maybe just because I did want it to stay in R, the reckoning of unbelief. But that's where the text is going. But the reason of, for unbelief is right here, or, or, what, or excuse me, the result is, is that verse 21, you'll die in your sins. And I, in fact, I said it probably wrong. I said, you'll die in your sin. But look at the text in verse 21. He says, I'm going away and you will seek me. And then you'll note there, he says in verse 21, you will die in your sin. And I pointed out last week that it's sin singular. And I think it's because he's referring to the particular sin of unbelief. And what unbelief does is refuse to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, whenever you look at that term in the scripture, it is a willful disobedience. Nobody goes to hell, uh, you know, kind of, sort of. They go there willfully. They go there stubbornly. They go there rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And he just says the result of your unbelief here is you're going to die in your sin. And he says, where I'm going, you can't come. I mean, that's fairly obvious, is it not? He's going back to his father and you can't come and you're going to die in your sin. So the result of unbelief is separation from God. But he takes us a step further from the result of unbelief, and we left off there, to the reason for unbelief. You say, what's the reason? Well, it's there. Look at the text in 23. He says, you're from below. Here's why. Here, this is why. I'm from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. Here's the reason you're going to die in your sin. You're of the world. In other words, he's talking about two different entities He's talking about two different trajectories, if you will. The believer is no longer of this world. The, the, the unbeliever lives in this world. The believer comes from above. He's with Christ. But the unbeliever comes from below. And so he says here the reason for the unbelief, the reason for the distance, the reason in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus is there's a great chasm between the believer and the unbeliever. The world there, the Greek word is cosmos, is the invisible evil system controlled by Satan. Satan. It is, if you will, opposition to God, opposition to his word. In fact, look down at chapter 8, verse 47. Here's one of the reasons for the unbelief. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And so he's got to open the hearts. Heidi just explained that. He's sovereign. He's got to do the changing. You can't pull yourself up by the, the bootstraps. He's got to transfer you from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of Christ, from living for yourself to living for him. That is the miracle of the new birth. That is what changes someone from the inside out. He says, but you're from the world. That's why you're unbelieving. In fact, John the Apostle, the same writer in 1 John 5, 19, spoke of the believers and he said, we are from the world, or excuse me, he says, we are, excuse me, he says, we are from God, but then he went on to say, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We come from God, but the whole world lies in 
His power. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 that the natural man does not understand the things of God. You say, well, can that condition be reversed? Well, the answer is yes, but there's only one way that it can be reversed. Look at verse 24. He says, unless you believe that I am he, and there it is again, you will die in your sins. Jesus is very particular there. He says the only way to reverse the condition is to believe. In other words, you can't get religion You can't give some money. You can't do a number of good works. You can't pretend to be religious. You can't do just social causes. If you want to stand before the Lord, he's not going to weigh you out in the scales and hopefully you've done more good than bad. The issue of you standing before Christ is you've got to believe in him. But Jesus is real particular. He adds what we call a conditional clause there. He is the object of our faith. Jesus says you must believe that I am. Uh, I think I shared last week with you that the ESV supplied the word he in the Greek language. It's just ego, I, me. You must believe that I am. And so eternal life, beloved, comes down to one person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And here in that marvelous statement, in unmistakable terms, Jesus referred to himself as the God of the Old Testament. The Yahweh, the Lord, the one who said that I am is the one who sent you, Moses, now is directly claimed by the Lord Jesus Christ as full deity for himself. So he's the only escape from God's judgment of sin. But to reject him um, is to die in your sin. It's to die in your sins. It's just that clear. In fact, as I say it, you might not like it, but that's what the Scripture says. Unless you believe that I am. So let me just say this. That means Jesus isn't just a good rabbi. That means that Jesus isn't just a good teacher. That means Jesus isn't just only the Messiah. That means that he's not just the prophet, though he is the Messiah and the prophet. You must confess with your mouth that he is God in the flesh. That's what he's saying. Unless you believe that I am, then you'll die in your sins. So you've got to get the person of Christ right. And that's why we're teaching through the book of John. I want our Christology to be right. We've got to get the person of Christ right. And here's who he is. I saw something on TV the other night and was looking for, uh, uh, I think I was watching a basketball game. And it was somebody who supposedly found the Shroud of Turin, you know. And uh, supposedly they found the Shroud of Turin that Jesus was wrapped in when they wrapped him in the clothes after the cross. And then, you know, then now they're saying there was blood on that shroud. And they've extracted the blood. And now they've got the DNA blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I'd love somebody to go on TV and just say Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's the only way you're going to get there. He's the only hope of the gospel. He's the only hope of the forgiveness of sins. But you say, what did they say to him? Look at the text in verse 25. I want you to follow the flow. He's telling them the truth. And they said to them, to him, now you can read it this way in verse 25, who are you? But I'd like to kind of give you a little bit more of the vernacular of the language. Who do you think you are? You. 
emphatic as you. Who do you think you are? They're mocking him. He just said, you must believe that I am he. They knew what he was saying. And so they respond here and they say, who are you? Who are you to make such a claim? And and this is unbelievable. I mean, just think, these are the people that watch the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus even said in 536, the works that I do, the Father gave me to accomplish. They bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Think about all of his miracles. Think about the miracles that we've seen in John. Think about all the things that he did and all the forces over nature and over the demoniac and over disease. He healed them all and they're saying, who are you? But listen, it's no different today. It is no different today. In fact, he told his disciples when John the Baptist said, is it really you? And he says, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. Who can do that? The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And then you think about his claims. I am the living water. I am the bread of the life. I am the light of the world. But they say to him, who do you think you are? I mean, this is serious stuff. I mean, it really is. You say, well, what did he say in response to them? Well, look at the scripture. Look what he says. He says to them, verse 25, he says, who do you are? He says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. That's who I am. I've been telling you this all along. I've been telling you this. And there's some question amongst scholars as to the word beginning. Is the word beginning In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and it goes all the way back to eternity. It could certainly be used that way. But I really think that maybe what's best here, he's just saying, I've been telling you the same thing from the very beginning. Remember, if the Feast of Tabernacles just finished, and that's what we saw in John chapter 7, he's about six months from the cross. So he's two and a half years into his ministry, and I think he's just saying this, I'm the same guy that I've been telling you from the beginning. I've been telling you all along. Now, now look what he says in verse 26. It's intriguing to me. He says, I have much to say about you and much to judge. Just stop there for a second. He's not going to bite on that, though. He says, I have a whole lot to tell you, and I have a whole lot to judge you. But I don't think he wastes his time there. Look, Look what he says in verse 26. He wants to say this, but he who sent me is true. Now, there's two key thoughts there in verse 26, that the Father has sent the Son, and the Father who sent the Son is true. So, watch the argument here. The sender, obviously, we've been in John, is the Father. And the Father who sent the Son is true. You can trust Him. In fact, walk with the text with me. Look back at John chapter 3. There's statements that he's made all through John's gospel. And he just says, the father who sent me is true. But statements like this in John 3, 33. Here it says, whoever receives his testimony, the testimony of Christ, sets his seal to this, that God is true. And so the father sent the son, and the father is true. Look over to John chapter 5. Let me show you this and tie this together. Jesus says in John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. 
He said, because I seek not my own will in 530, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus is saying, I've been commissioned by the Father. I'm not doing my own will, but I'm doing the will of the Father who sent me. Verse 31, he says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. He said, but there is in 532 another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. So he says, I have much more to say to you and to judge you, but what I am going to say, the Father who sent me is true. Look in John chapter 5 and in verse 37, excuse me. The Father who sent me has borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. But he keeps saying that the Father has sent me and he's borne witness about me. Now look back at John chapter 8. This is very interesting to me he says in 26 i've much to say about you much to judge but he who sent me is true now lock in on this and i declare to the world you could stop there just for a second he's not just declaring it to the jewish people he says i declare it to the world and obviously when he uses the word world there he's not talking about the cosmos and the fallen nature of it he's just talking about the physical component of the world but he says but i declare to the world i love this phrase what i have heard from him now let me be very clear he heard it from the father so beloved every word jesus ever spoke came from the father I don't know if you've ever looked at it that way. You think, well, he's God, you're affirming. He's the light of the world, yes. He's the bread of, yes. Every word that he ever spoke came from the Father. In fact, glance down in John chapter 8, verse 40. He says, but now you seek to kill me. He says, a man, here it is again, who told you the truth that I heard from what? God. In other words, his works are from God, but his very words are from God. He speaks the words of God. Look back at John 3, 34. I just, I want you to see this. Don't know if you've ever seen it like that before. But John the Baptist says, for he whom, and I'm in 3, 34, whom God has sent, watch this phrase, utter utters the words of God. He utters the words of God. Look over at John chapter 7 in verse 16. Do you remember there when they were talking to him as he's teaching in the temple? He says in 7 verse 16, Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. What a great statement. Look down at 7, verse 18. 7, 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. In other words, Jesus Christ speaks the very words of God. And maybe that's just enough for me to say gently to you. We don't need anybody else whom says that God has spoke to them. I think there's more people enamored with a prophetic word that they get from God than the very words that come out of the Scripture from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you want to understand the heart of God, then read the New Testament because it's in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as he spoke that he got those from God. Look over at John 15. He says this all the way through. Look over at John 15. And we'll touch on these later, but in John 15, you know that passage where he says, I am the vine. But he says this in 15:15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. What a great statement. Listen, I, I just want to encourage you. If you know Christ as Lord and Savior, you know God the Father. God the Father sent him. God the Father is true. God the Father can be relied upon. And now we're looking at the very words of Jesus Christ are the words that the Father gave to him. Look over at John chapter 17, verse 17. And by the way, as you're turning there, why would you not be in the text all the time? I just want to encourage you to read your Bible. Man, if you're not in the Word, then you need to find a buddy to be in the Word together. In other words, we have a God that talks. We have a God that spoke to us. He speaks to us in his creation, and he speaks to us in revelation. We have a Bible that has been written down that contains the words of God, written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors. And here, as we study the Gospel of John, the very words of Christ are the words of God the Father. Look at John 17, verse 17. There in his high priestly prayer, he says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And then he says in verse, or excuse me, back up to verse 7. He says, now they know that everything that you have given me is from, what? You. Verse 8, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received and have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. So the son only declared what the father gave him to say and do. Beloved, let me just say this. To reject the Son is to reject who? The Father. And if they're disbelieving the Lord Jesus Christ in front of them, then they will die in their sins. Witness after witness demonstrated who he was, and they willfully disbelieved. And that's again when Paul says the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, for they are discerned only through the Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can open blind eyes. In fact, Heidi shared with me before that as her dad was driving her, I think it was to Teen Challenge, she looked at her reflection in the mirror and saw what she had become. And God Almighty used that to convict her of her sin and stop her in her tracks and lead her into a place where she can hear the word of God. And so the Holy Spirit's got to open the heart. So, beloved, here's the result of unbelief. You'll die in your sin. The reason for unbelief is he's from above and they are from below. He's not of this world and they're of this world. But here's this, the reckoning of unbelief. The reckoning, and the ideal of reckoning is the ideal of settling accounts. Uh, watch carefully. What do you think on this? He says, go back to John 8. He said in John chapter 8, in verse 28, he, or he, he said this there. He said, so Jesus said to them, 
when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, that I can do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as He said. Okay? When they've lifted up the Son of Man. Now, what does that phrase mean when you've lifted up the Son of Man? I think certainly we would all say what? It's the cross, right? It's the death of Jesus Christ. And, and he uses that word in John three fourteen As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too the Son of Man, same Greek word, must be lifted up. In other words, as he lifted up the brazen serpent on the pole, the Lord Jesus Christ will be lifted up on a cross. It says in John 12, 23 or 32, he says, when I am lifted up, Jesus said this from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And he said this, it says in the text, to show what kind of death he was going to die. So when he uses that phrase, look at it again. When the Son of Man is lifted up, he's talking about the cross. But I want you to look in particular at verse 28. Look at it again. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, do you see this phrase? Then you will know that I am He. Now remember, he's preaching to predominantly a Jewish people that are disobedient. So it's, it's stating there in 28, when he's lifted up, then you will know that I am He. Well, in what way will they know? As he goes to the cross, what do you think? There's some scholars who, there's two thoughts there. Some think that, hey, this is what he means. What he means is maybe just a word. He brings salvation. He would bring salvation to some at his cross. That some Jews, who maybe even in this text are initially rejecting Christ, would one day later realize that they were utterly mistaken about the Lord who was lifted up and they'd have a change of heart. In fact, they quote Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached, and how many were saved? About 3,000. And predominantly, those 3,000 were Jewish people who came to receive him as Messiah. And so they say, you will know when I'm lifted up that I am he. In fact, glance down at John chapter 8, verse 30. At the conclusion of that paragraph, he was saying these things and many believed in him. However, there's a second thought on you will know that I am he. And I'll just put it in a word. It's the word judgment. Judgment. And this is kind of what I think the passage is giving itself to. In other words, that in spite of his works, in spite of his words and even his claims, many disbelieved. And as a result, they would die in their sins and be separated from ever or forever from God. And so what he's really articulating is a future day of reckoning, a future day, a judgment day. In other words, having refused God's Son, they would one day awaken to the shocking horror that the very one that they mocked and the very one that they crucified would one day reveal Himself in future judgment that would crash down on their heads in final judgment. In other words, He's saying to them, Oh, one day you will know. But on that day, it will be too late. 
it will be too late. And that is a frightening thing. That is an awful thing. To think that you can live your life how you want to live it. But on that day, on that future day of reckoning, you will stand before Almighty God and the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be found wanting. And then on that day, you will actually know. And I just think the the tone of the text is moving that way. I think Jesus, I have many more things to say. I have many things to judge you. But listen, I just want you to know the Father sent me and he's true. And if you don't come to an understanding of Christ, then it will be an awful final day. I had someone share to me this week as he was witnessing to a man. I mean, this is how it could be. And he said, hey, where have you been? And, and I think he thought the guy would give him some kind of profound answer that some trial happened into his life or some difficulty happened into his life or some death took place in his life. And he just frankly said, I'm just tired on Sundays. Now, we know that going to church doesn't save you. But I think there's a lot of people living like that way in Kingsburg. I think there's a lot of people that play fast and loose with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you either bow to him here, but you will bow, right? And, I, and I, you say, well, Scott, you're kind of urgent. Well, what do you want me to be, quiet? I mean, this is a serious message. I'm just thinking when he humbled himself, remember in Philippians, to the point of death, death on a cross. And then it says God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, remember that, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You're going to, you're going to, you either bow now or you bow later. But the, the day will come when you will know because you'll have to stand before him. Obviously, if you're an unbeliever, if you're, if you're a believer, then he's declared you righteous and forgave all your sins. And then you know the promise in Romans 8 1. There's therefore now no what? Condemnation. But for people to, to not look at the words of Christ. They're right in front of them. They're listening to him say, I'm the living water. If you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. I'm the, the bread of life. He who eats this bread will, will never be hungry again. I'm the light of the world. He who comes to me as the light of the world will never remain in darkness. This is an urgent, urgent message. And um, just he's so serious. So I think what he's saying here is they'll meet our Lord as judge and will forever be separated because of their sin and because of their unbelief and, beloved, because of their willful disobedience to the one who is the great I am. Now listen, Heidi just stood up here and said, never give up. I'd agree with her 100%. Why would you ever give up on anybody who's living and who's breathing. And you can go back to him and compel him again and again and again. But I'm telling you, one day there's a day coming where it's too late. It is appointed, the writer of Hebrews says, you know it, for man to die once, then comes what? Judgment. But as long as the day is today, you give him the gospel. As long as the day is the day, today, there's hope in the person of Christ. But there's coming a day, there's a future reckoning, if you will, 
that one day you won't be able to come over. Remember when the guy, Luke 16, when the rich man who had everything in this life, living sumptuously, I don't even know if that's a word, but it's in the Bible, okay? And he's just living high off the hog. And then there's the poor guy, and he's waiting for the crumbs that fall off the rich man's table. And then, he, he, and then their, their roles are reversed, and the rich man goes into hell. And then the poor man goes into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man from hell says, send Lazarus to me that he may dip the tip of his finger in water to cool off my, what, tongue. And he said, go warn my brothers. I don't want them to come here. And Jesus said, or the, the, the writer did, they've already got the law and the Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Listen, there's a day coming where it, it's a future day. Then they'll know. But our prayer is that they'd know now. That's why we're going to Teen Challenge tonight. Any of you guys coming? You want to come tonight? You want to help with the good news? Tom Rios is preaching. Come on out because we have the hope of the gospel and there's hope now while people are alive. You say, well, what did they do after he told them that? Look at verse 28. He says, he says, I am he. He says, I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak, just what he said earlier, just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me, amazing, is with me. He has not, verse 29, left me alone. Now you say, well, what does that mean? I, I just think here, everybody's bailing on me. Most people don't believe in me. Most people haven't committed their life to me. The people that I'm talking to are pursuing me, trying to kill me. And I love this Trinitarian intimacy. Look at it again. He says there, he has not left me alone. I love that. God the Father is right with him. Listen, in, in words that go beyond human expression, the relationship in the Trinity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is so profound that in our fallenness, it's hard to talk about it. But he's saying, even though you're not believing in me, this is the essence of it, I want you to know I'm not alone. And here's why. Look what he said in verse 29. It's a great verse for us this morning. He says, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. In other words, I'm always seeking to please my Father, that even though He's the second person of the Trinity, He's always wanting to do the Father's will. So here's the text. Three declarations of unbelief. There's the result of unbelief. You'll die in your sin. There's the reason for unbelief. You're from below. He said, I'm from above. And there's the day of reckoning coming um, of unbelief that if you don't trust Him now, you'll meet Him later as a judge. But there's a truth here in the gospel. And another uh, highlight, look at verse 30. Maybe this is you. He said, as he was saying these things, many, what? Believed on him. I love that. They believed on him, obviously, in every text, he, or in him. He's the direct object. That's how someone goes from darkness to light. That's how someone goes from Satan to the kingdom of God. You bow your knee you place your faith in Christ, you repent of your sin, and you have eternal life. Look over at John chapter 11. You know this text. It's one of my favorite texts in all of the scripture. When Jesus said to her, listen to this, hope, this is wonderful. He said, I am, there's that statement again, ego, I me. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he, what, live Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. 
He said, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. Watch this expression. That you are the Christ. In other words, he's the Messiah. The Son of God who is coming into the world. And now Jesus says, you also got to believe that I am God. I am Yahweh. This is the expression. This is the testimony all through John's gospel. That the way you enter from darkness into light is through believing on Jesus Christ. Listen, there are no second chances once this life is over. Jesus says, you can't come over to where I'm going. you got to respond to the gospel. This is how you escape death, hell, and judgment. And listen, I just want you to know, would you not say that? I'm so glad that he redeemed me, aren't you? If he's redeemed you. I mean, you know, I look at my life um, shaking my fist in the face of God, not wanting to yield my life under him at 14. And he was so strong. He was so powerful. He was convicting me of my sin, but that's not me. That's the Lord. He drove me to my knees. And then as a twin gift, he gives me the gift of repentance, and he gives me the gift of faith. And then he gives me eternal life, both now and in the, in the ages to come. And that's all because of Christ. Don't we have a great Savior? Don't we have a wonderful Savior? You may have come in with a heavy heart today. Look to Christ. You may have come in with a difficult trial or a difficult relationship. We need to put our focus back on the Lord Jesus Christ that he's redeemed us and then turn our focus outward and begin to serve. You say, what will death be like for the follower of Christ? What happens at death? We talked at the beginning of death. Well, one who was anxious about death once asked a pastor, His name was Bishop Burgrave of Norway for an explanation of death. And the bishop told him this story in reply. He said one day uh, a peasant took his little son with him to visit to a village uh, some distance away from home. And as they traveled along the road, they came to a small but swift river that was spanned by a rickety, broken old bridge. The wood was rotten, the rope was frayed, but it was daylight and the father and son made the crossing without any mishap. And as often the case, business took longer than anticipated and it was dusk when the two started out on their journey home. And as they walked along, the little boy remembered the river and he remembered the old bridge, but he became frightened. They barely made it across in the light of day. How would they be able to cross that turbulent water on the broken bridge in the dark? And his father was sensing the anxiety of the little boy, lifting him up and holding him close to his chest. He carried the little boy in his arms. And the boy's fears subsided immediately. And before he knew it, he was fast asleep in his father's arms. And before he knew it, the sun of the new day was streaming through the window. And the boy awoke to discover that he was safe at home in his very own room. And see, beloved, death is like that. For the follower of Christ, what we fear the most, the river of death, we cross unafraid because we're asleep in the arms of Jesus. Then we'll awake to be in the presence of God where there's no more night, no more fear, and there's no more, what? Death. He'll take us straight into glory. But you got to believe. But you might say, well, Scott, you got to believe what? You got to believe he's Messiah. You got to believe he's the prophet. Got to believe that he's Yahweh. Can I show you one final thing? I think you should come back next week. Because look, he says in 8.30, as they were saying these things, many believed on him. And some of you are thinking, well, yeah, they believed on him. They, they trusted him. 
but ever so clear, 831. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed on him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So you say, you got to believe, and then you got to abide. You say, well, what does that mean? That's for next week. We'll see you on Palm Sunday, okay? Would you bow your head with me? We won't have a closing song this morning, but as your head is bowed, listen, do you, do you, do you affirm that I am he? Do you affirm that Christ said that he's Yahweh, Lord, second person in the Trinity, in the Godhead? He is God in the flesh. And then the wonder of all wonders that the one who is holy that the one who is pure, that the one who never sinned came into a sin-stained-filled world and offered himself on the cross for you. Listen, if you know him, would you just cry out and say thank you? Listen, maybe some of you have lost a loved one in the last year. Some of you have lost children. But I want to encourage you. It says of Jesus that through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil, and he might deliver those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Listen, Jesus Christ, as you know, conquered the grave. And if you've lost a little one, you're going to be reunited with that little one instantly in the presence of God. And you'll be ushered into a place where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more night, no more mourning, and no more death. All the old things have passed away. Listen, as we read to Ryan Colburn, I want you to seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. Listen, if you're here this morning, maybe you've just come in. We're so glad you've come. We, we'd never want to embarrass you. But listen, you're in one of two places right now. You'll either die in your sin or you affirm who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And we'd love to introduce him to you. This is a little bit this morning. He's I am. He's the great I am. He's the living bread. He's the fountain of living water. He's the light of the world. As you repent of your sin and place your trust in him, you'll know the power of eternal life. Listen, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you will never die. You'll live. It's what Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, So that's my prayer for you. Listen, you examine where your heart is. It says, truly, truly, did Jesus say, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. It says in John three fifteen, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. It says in John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Listen, that's my prayer for you. Listen, as your head is bowed, as you think about people who need the Savior, maybe the Lord's bringing someone to, their, to your mind. Listen, go to them, love them, share the good news. It's the greatest news in all of the world. The greatest news isn't that Gonzaga is in the final game. The greatest news is that Jesus Christ came to die in your place. Father, we just want to confess you today. Father, as I see those little boys, I'm so thankful for Vance. I'm so thankful for Hank. I want our church to be faithful that when those young men become 
those boys become young men that will still be living the truth, preaching the truth, walking the truth. Lord, would you just help us be faithful? We live in a day of compromise. And Father, we, we don't want to compromise. We want to love you. We want to obey you. And Father, we can't love you perfect. We can't obey you perfect. But Lord, the, the, the desire of our heart is to ever be pleasing to you. Jesus said, I do the things that please the Father. Lord, may you make that our prayer this day, and we'll give you all the glory, Father, and we need your spirit to enable us to live in such a way. We love you and give thanks, and all God's children said, amen.